Claire Sands, My Why Audio Blog. The art of making everyone welcome. Usually, I focus on how to help people who are struggling with grief, loss, childlessness, and those that just don't fit into the usual family dynamic. But occasionally, I like to offer help to those on the other side. No, I don't mean dead people, but those trying to draw alongside or incorporate people like that into their gatherings. Maybe you've got a big family gathering planned soon, and you have a relative or a friend that's attending that's the only single person, or the only person or couple without children, or a family member that's lost a child, or someone recently bereaved, or someone recently out of a relationship or marriage, or someone that's had a tough year, and you're just a little cautious about how to make them feel at home. Well, I'm going to offer you three top tips to ensure that you do your best. As a childless woman who's seen all sides of gatherings, I know it's not easy for families to try and include those whose lives are very different from your own. However, there are some key things you can do to make it easier on everyone, and there's also some key things to avoid. One theme that you're going to see come up again and again, and I believe it's got a huge part to play in the upset of many conversations, is making assumptions. I was recently conversing with the wise old Laurie Alcorn, a previous podcast guest, about this on the topic of how people get it wrong when chatting to childless people, and she said she remembers the following. Assumptions make an ass out of you, not me. This made me laugh, and it's a new take for many of us who feel like we don't fit into the societal norms, because our default position is more likely to be, that assumption you just made about me is hurtful, but I'm going to pretend it didn't happen and just try to adjust to fit in more. So I'm going to remember this next time someone makes an assumption about my life or choices. It just makes an ass of you, not me. And putting all assumptions aside is hard, but it's a key area to making others feel welcome. Don't fall into the trap of making assumptions based on what you think someone's feeling or what you might do in the same situation. It never ends well and you're not as good at it as you think you are. I'll give you an example of how an assumption ruins an opportunity to connect with someone. Let's say you're a childless woman called Joy. I just plucked that name out of the air because it's nearly Christmas and it's pretty and positive sounding. You're recently out of a relationship where you'd had many attempts to have children that failed and you're visiting a family you know well with a new baby. You love babies and secretly you're really hoping you'll get to have a hug of the warm, soft, squishy new arrival because you're good with them and you've been around many with your friends. In fact, the feeling of holding a baby helps you heal the pain a bit of not having your own. You arrive and enter the room where there's quite a few people, the new parents, the baby's young siblings, the grandparents. Here are some classic assumptions that can be made in this scenario. Firstly. Joy assumes that she can't just ask to hold the baby because she knows some mothers are cautious about this and don't like to share their babies around. Plus, if it's not the right time, i.e. baby might be sleeping or needs feeding or burping, then mum might say no, and she fears the idea of being rejected in front of everyone and looking like the childless person that's not allowed to hold the baby. Second assumption. The new parents assume that Joy won't want to hold the baby because childlessness has been painful for her and they don't want to rub anything in her face or make it hurt more so they assume that offering the baby would look a bit callous. Third assumption. The grandparents assume they need to help the new parents with the baby and pick it up to show Joy, but are cautious about handing it over because they assume that not having children, she wouldn't know how to properly hold one or what to do with it. Last assumption. The young siblings assume that Joy might want to play with them and try to take her into another room away from the adults and the baby. I could extend this out to a whole afternoon and all the assumptions that could be made where it's painful on all sides, but you see where I'm going. So how can you help people to feel more included? Whether you're the one in the bigger family unit wanting to help others feel welcome, or the one on the outskirts who also wants to make others feel welcome. Fear not, as the Christmas angels say, I will help you. They didn't say that last bit, that was me. 
Now, of course, everyone is different, and what one person will see as a kind gesture to include them, another might see as a poke in the genitals. So you need to consider these tips in context with the person or people that you're dealing with and use a bit of common sense and wisdom. But on the whole, I've tried to make these things so they work across the board. And if you've got other historical issues with this person, which might cause a different reaction, I mean like you fell out before, not that you both disagree on the greatest prime minister of all time, well, that's on you. I can't really fix everything. And I actually asked other friends who have been in this situation to help me piece this together with their thoughts and experiences. So this is not just my wisdom I'm sharing. For ease of description as we go forward, I'm going to refer to the invited person as our good friend Joy. In these situations, Joy represents someone who might be grieving, alone, sad, childless, single, divorced, separated, going through failed attempts to have children, anything that the person that you're gathering might be facing that's making you think, ah, how do I make sure they have a nice time? As Daniel H. Pink said, Empathy is about standing in someone else's shoes, feeling with his or her heart, seeing with his or her eyes. And this is the greatest starting point as a precursor to everything I'm going to say. To be honest, if you can apply empathy to Joy's situation, then you really don't even need these tips. But that's not easy for everyone, especially psychopaths, as we heard about in episode 57 of The Silent Why. There's one more point I'll raise before we enter our gathering and make Joy feel at home, and that's to make sure that you invite her in the first place. I've heard single people, childless people, divorced people, parents of one child, parents of five children, sad people, happy people and griefy people all say these words, I just don't get invited. Don't underestimate how much an invite means, even if the person says no. And don't assume that a no meant they were offended or hurt or didn't want to come. It might have meant the world to them that you thought to invite them. It might have flattered them, encouraged them even. But it just wasn't right for a whole host of other reasons to attend, including sometimes self-preservation. The next episode of The Silent Why is all around food and grief, and my guest Lisa speaks about how when her husband died and she was alone, she longed for an invite to just a normal family weekday meal. It's really hard, especially at this time of year. So look around, who could you invite? But remember, if you invite them, be prepared to also help them feel at home, not just sit them in a corner to watch your festivities. And to do that, you'll definitely need some of the pointers that I'm going to go through now. So let's say you've invited Joy. She's accepted, and then she arrives. Tip number one, act like you want Joy to be there. Sounds a bit obvious and simple, doesn't it? But I'd say the number one thing that makes these sorts of gatherings hard for Joy is feeling that she's somehow in the way, doesn't fit in, or the gathering would be easier without her. Again, put yourself in Joy's shoes. If you were sat in a bustling room, alone, everyone's busy, chatting, laughing, playing with the kids, family photos all around reminding you of what you don't have, think about what you would want. If you know the person well, do something that you know they're going to enjoy, or ask them or talk to them. Maybe sit and have a conversation, maybe start a jigsaw or a game, give them the baby, find out what they like, make it happen. How you ask. Like this. Sit down next to Joy and say, Hey Joy, how was your week? Or, how do you find these sorts of gatherings? Or, are these sorts of get-togethers hard for you in any way? Or, is there anything you'd like to do? If they've lost someone, maybe try something like, how did you and -and so-and-so celebrate Christmas? Or whatever the gathering is. Or, what have you done over previous Christmases? And listen to the answers. Don't ask and then get distracted with the kids or something else partway through their answer. Prioritise them in your thoughts if you really want them to enjoy themselves and feel welcome. 
Yes, if you've got kids, they'll be demanding time and energy. But for 30 minutes, focusing on an adult in the room that's hurting might actually make that person's year or even help their healing journey. And I know this might be hard to swallow, but just be aware that your day-to-day life might be very triggering for them. Even what you see as a bad day with the kids, or the hubby, or the wife, or tiredness beyond your wildest dreams, or the stress of parenting in general, or a fight with your mother, is something that somebody might be wishing for. Tip number two, choose your words carefully. Big mistake. Big. Huge. That's a quote that many of you will recognise from the film Pretty Woman, as Julia Roberts plays Vivian. And this is the kicker, the one that people so often get wrong. This is where the big mistakes come in. It's scary that people are still this careless when it comes to conversation. Firstly, if you struggle knowing what to say to people who are going through grief or a hard time, I want to refer you to my blog, How to Talk to the Grieving. There's lots of practical tips there and they really apply to anyone you're not sure how to speak to. And it goes into more detail on words to say and not say. And secondly, this largely comes back again to making assumptions. And this one has actually got four sections to it. Yep. I totally tricked you into thinking there was only three tips, but there's kind of seven. But you're in this far, so why stop now? Section number one. Don't ask questions that assume things. These include questions like, when are you having children? Getting pregnant? Having number two? What if they don't want them? Can't have them? Or there's a painful situation that's stopping this happening? Or when are you getting married? What if this isn't something they want to do or they can't for some reason? Have you thought about IVF, adoption or fostering? What makes you think they haven't? Of course they have if they want children, but it's never that simple. Or, when do you think you'll be over it? What makes you confident they ever will get over it? Most of these questions assume that everyone has the same life, and that if they don't fit into what you're assuming will happen, they have some way failed or fallen outside of what they should be doing. That's a dangerous thing to put on someone. John Powell said, Comparison is the death of true self-contentment. Instead of that, why not ask questions like, How are you, Joy? Or, How are you feeling about blah, blah, blah? Or if you know them well, a casual but meaningful, how's life, Joy? And mean it and listen to their answers or show them it's a safe place to answer honestly. Or how about, what sort of hopes do you have for the future then? This allows them to talk about family hopes or children or relationships or maybe jobs or hobbies. Hope is different from idealising successes like having children and getting married. What about, so Joy, what are you really enjoying at the moment? Find out what they like and enjoy. Meet them on their level rather than pushing the conversation towards what you like. Or if you're connecting with them and you feel you want to go further, you can spin it around and ask, is there anything you're finding really hard at the moment? And if they share with you, empathise without dominating the conversation or comparing. Maybe share something you struggle with in a very real way so they don't feel all alone on the ledge. And if you ask Joy a question like, would you like to hold the baby? Take her at her answer. If she jumps at the chance, but you lift the baby and it needs changing, don't forget that offer and hand her the baby when it's appropriate or say that you're going to come back. If she looks horrified and says, no, thank you, just say something like, no worries, he or she's there if you want to change your mind, but I totally get it. He's super squirmy, burpy, sicky right now anyway. Things like this just keep the conversation casual without pressure and they show understanding. When you lay down some information up front, it shows Joy that she's welcome to pick up the baby at any point, or that you'd rather no one ever touch the baby because you have deep control issues. Just kidding. Kind of. This eliminates any guessing on Joy's part. If Joy is loving having the baby, leave her with it. Don't take the baby away under the pretense you think she must be tired or bored of it. That's hurtful when it's the only time that she gets. 
Just on this note, if childless people offer to do anything with children, feed them, burp them, get up with them in the night, and you turn them down, do so with the real reasons and not with any kind of, oh, you don't want to be doing that, or I wouldn't expect you to do that, you'll get so tired. They wouldn't offer if they didn't want to do it. And the opportunity to get up with a baby in the night is actually something some of us long to do because it's a one-off taste of parenting in a way that we wanted. So to be honest, if you don't want them to do it because you have your own issues with it, share that with them. But don't say no pretending you're doing them a favour. Those that don't want to do this stuff never offer anyway. And if you're really lost on which way to go, just give Joy the information up front with something like this. And I've called the baby Noel. Kind of Christmassy, but more of a boy's name. I don't know if you'd like to hold Noel. I don't mind either way. But if you want to, you are very welcome to at any time. Just go and grab him for a hug. Equally, if you'd rather not, that's absolutely fine too. He's happy where he is and I totally get it. Section 2. Don't feel you need to offer advice. If you have experience yourself or of someone you know that you think might help Joy because it's relevant and it's kind, then that might be something that helps connect and open up conversations. But even that needs to be treated carefully. What Joy doesn't need is you telling her what she should do or try when you haven't been there or don't know much about it yourself. It's another assumption that she hasn't already got the information you want to share and she probably knows more about the subject than you do anyway. In fact, never start a sentence with any human about anything meaningful that starts with you should, especially if you have no experience of it. E.g. you should try IVF to couples who might be in the early days of finding it hard to conceive. Do you know what that entails? The pressure it puts on relationships, the amount of injections and drugs that are pumped into the body, the low success rates, the scans, the surgery. Do you really think that's something they should be doing? Or you should get a divorce to someone who's finding their marriage hard. Do you know what that entails? The painful ripping apart of a marriage, the financial implications, the painful meetings with solicitors, the loneliness, the heartbreak, the upheaval of a whole life. Do you really think that's something they should do? Or you should focus on the good to someone who's still grieving a loss. Do you know what that entails? Do you know that focusing on the good actually focuses the bad as well? Do you know that all their good is now different or gone because of what they've lost? Do you know they might not be able to find any good right now? Do you really think that's something they should do? Section 3. Don't make hurtful comments. Most of the comments I read that hurt people are probably well meant by people who just haven't got a clue what to say, so they say something stupid. And we've all been there. Yes, even you who thinks you've known the pain to the depth of the human experience, you'll have hurt someone in their pain too. We all have. We all understand some pain, but we don't all understand all pain. I feel like that should be up on a wall somewhere. It's not just happily married people that upset single people. It's not just parents that upset the childless. It's not just non-griefy people that upset griefy people. Child loss people upset the childless. Childless upset the child loss. Parents upset other parents, single people upset divorced people, parents upset single people, the loop goes on forever. However, that being said, there's a lot of words you shouldn't reach for with anybody at any time and we can all try to be better at this. For example, no helpful sentence talking to someone in pain ever started with at least. Delete those sentences right now. At least you got pregnant, at least you have each other, at least you have your health, at least you have other children, at least you have more spare time, at least you get a full night's sleep, at least you don't need to use contraceptive, at least you have a job. And yes, I've heard at least a few of those myself. Other phrases that have caused hurt to people that we've interviewed are, I can't imagine, and you're so strong. And because I can't cover everything here, you'll have to see the blog I mentioned earlier for more on those and why. The last thing I want to add under, choose your words carefully 
is a word that, if used correctly, can be beautiful, but used in the wrong way can actually hurt. And it's the little word, sorry. And the context it can be hurtful in is when someone apologises for their life or a situation that the other person might wish they had. For example, if your child, or husband or wife even, is playing up, and you keep apologising to Joy for it, sorry, I have to go and put the kids to bed, sorry, he keeps asking you if you want a drink, sorry, she keeps offering you so much food, then it can feel like you're saying, sorry, my life is so different from yours, or sorry, I know these aren't things that you normally have to deal with. So be careful about making the assumption they need an apology for natural things that happen in family life. They might just be there to enjoy being in a normal family environment, and when you apologise for it, it points out that they're not part of it. Section 4. Don't just talk about you. I want to scream this into society. Oscar Wilde said, Selfishness is not living as one wishes to live. It is asking others to live as one wishes to live. Do you know how rare it is now to meet someone that actually asks questions about the other person they're talking to, without talking about themselves the whole time? It's not just joy that will be feeling this in a gathering, but we all crave conversations that are equally matched. Put it this way, if you ask about and focus on them, and they ask about and focus on you, we have the making of a great conversation and society at large. You still get to talk about yourself and share, but it's in a way that people are interested and can converse with. And I'm going to throw this one unashamedly, largely at the foot of parents and grandparents. Sorry folks, but you need to stop talking incessantly about your children and grandchildren with people who don't have them, and also with people who really don't care. I know your world might revolve around them, and that's fine, but ours don't, and it's not that interesting. There, I said it. In a world where we are idolising children's needs more than ever, it feels like a punishable offence to even stray into this territory, but someone had to go there. And don't feel too smug, you loved-up couples and cat and dog people, because you're not that far behind. If you don't have anything else to talk about, then you need to widen your horizons slightly. Or at least ask, how are you, to the other person and find out more about them. Even if it's just to talk about a TV programme, what you've learnt during your insomnia, or marzipan. The energy you spend on chatting about your life is much easier spent just listening. And don't be threatened by other people's lives. So if Joy loves skydiving, and you hate that your role as a parent or a wife is much more mundane, why not live a little through her? Find out what it feels like, why she loves it. She'll be over the moon to share her passion, and in the same way that it's lovely for a parent to share about their children, but sometimes painful for the person hearing it, maybe you need to turn the tables and hear about how amazing their life is, even if it's a little painful for you. And my third and final tip, tip three, include them, but in the right way. There are ways to get this right and wrong, and you'll need to read the person to find out what works, or take them at their word when you ask them about it. Maybe when Joy arrives, just ask her, one-to-one, don't do it across a huge table, what she likes, what would she like to do today, and give her options. Don't leave it open-ended so she has no idea what's on offer. Ask her, do you like board games, cooking, playing with the kids, quizzes, find out up front. Or even better maybe, message her beforehand so she can reply via text. What if she absolutely loves making table decorations and you're stressing about yours? Let her be involved or bring something to be part of the day. If she's the only one that didn't contribute anything, you might think you're gifting her a day off, but she might actually just want to feel needed. And yes, I will acknowledge there are some people who want one thing and say another. But I'm going to say that in this situation, that's on them to learn how to communicate better. If they tell you they love cooking and help you out but moan after they're in the kitchen, or they say yes to playing a game with the kids but hate it and just can't say no, that's not your problem to worry about. That's their issue to work through. So once you know what Joy might enjoy, Joy might enjoy, 
find appropriate ways to include her, and this might mean saving some things till she's not there. Don't play couples games if she's single or the only one there not in a couple. Don't pair up with your kids so she's the only one playing on her own. Don't put her into a game where your kids cheat, win and then gloat over it to her. If she doesn't want to play a game, maybe do that one another time. Maybe ask her one-to-one what games she likes so she isn't forced into saying yes because you ask the whole room who you know love it and they all shout yes. Don't allow conversation to stray into long chats about motherhood or marriage or things she doesn't have and can't contribute to. Don't all open your presence when she has nothing to do but watch. Don't be all family-like where you're all cuddling children and she sat alone watching you do baby talk. These are all things that are very easily avoided if you just remember every so often to look at Joy and think, would I enjoy this if it was me? And maybe save her from conversation if she's stuck with someone that you know is boring or weird. Don't leave her there because it occupies the said boring weird person. And just a few final notes regarding having children in the gathering. There are a few things that those without children find really hard when trying to be part of a family gathering, especially at gift-giving gatherings. So it would be really helpful, parents, if you could not do the following. 1. If Joy gives you a present to open, don't immediately give it to the kids. It might be their favourite chocolate or a gadget their eyes light up at, but it's hurtful when the first response from you is to just let your kids take it away. It diminishes the effort that Joy went to to get it for you. If a child comes after it, maybe say, no, Joy bought this for me. Even if you give it to them later when Joy's gone, it just shows that you're grateful and not dismissive of the thought and effort that went into it. And I have to say, it's not just parents that are bad at this. Grandparents, you're in there with this one as well. Secondly, teach your kids as early as possible how to politely appreciate presents, regardless of whether they like them or not. It's incredibly difficult to buy presents for children that you don't see at least weekly because their interests change so much. And yes, you can ask the parents what shall I get them, but do you know how depressing it is when you don't have your own children? You just love that idea of getting a gift for a child that they love, off your own back, even better if it pleases the parents. However, When you really try, and you're at a gathering where the child opens it in front of you, it's horrible when they then throw it aside and say, I don't like this, or that isn't what I wanted, or, oh, ouch, man, that stuff hurts. So my tip, if you have children that aren't capable of doing this yet, is to not create situations where the children open gifts in front of that person. It says more about our society than anything that this is even a thing, and I'm sure some cultures are shocked by me needing to say this at all, but it is quite a big one. Lastly, Don't give kids ultimatums in front of Joy that you know they might turn down. Don't say, do you want to give Joy a goodbye hug? When you know there's a very high chance it's going to be a no because the child doesn't know her that well or doesn't hug much. It's not fun for Joy to be rejected publicly like that. Maybe ask the child quietly and gauge the reaction and then say, Joy, Noel would like to give you a goodbye hug. Or don't do it at all. But just be careful how often Joy is rejected by kids openly because it's hard to take for some people. Well, that's my whirlwind tour of helping to include joy this Christmas. There's so much more I could elaborate on, but I hope this helps give you an idea of seeing things from a perspective you might not have had to see from, which is a blessing in itself. They're not tips that are exclusive to those feeling on the outside of gatherings. They can be applied to anyone. I'm sure you'd like to have these applied to you when you're at the next get-together, whatever your situation is. The Dalai Lama said, Our prime purpose in this life is to help others. And if you can't help them, at least don't hurt them. It's worth remembering that so often how we respond to others is a reflection of ourselves. Our assumptions, our priorities, our previous hurts, our pains, our grief, our expectations, our flaws. So through changing how we treat others, we also learn about ourselves and change for the better. Every time something irks you, every time you feel defensive, every time you disagreed with something I just suggested, 
There was a reason, a feeling, an assumption in you that was poked or challenged, and when we spot these and work out why they make us feel that way, we can start to learn more about ourselves and how we might need to change. And we know they're personal, because not everyone is upset or pained by them. All of us would take issue to having our eye plucked out right now without anaesthetic. But only some of us will feel pain when we see a child cuddled up to a parent or a couple holding hands. Whatever hurts you also alerts you. Ooh, I made that up when I was writing this and I actually think I might have to make it all official and put proper quote marks around it like I do all the other wisdom as people. You'll have to check the blog to see if I did it. But I'll definitely be putting that on social media. Whatever hurts you also alerts you. Claire Sands. There's also a very challenging quote by Carl Jung that says, everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. I'm wishing you all many happy gatherings, whether you're the big family or the single human attending. May we all continue to grow towards a society that accepts, loves and appreciates different lives for the beauty and excitement they can birth without comparisons and assumptions diluting our joy. Richard Bark said, The bond that links your true family is not one of blood, but of respect and joy in each other's life.'"